morning, and thank you, musicians, for your music. You set a good tone for Sabbath school. Adrian and I are, are really happy to be able to share with you insights from the Word of God. Adrian is a medical student at Mayo Clinic, Mayo University, Mayo, Mayo. <laughs> All you need to say is Mayo and people know, right, Adrian? Mayo is, a, Adrian is actually um, in his last year. And so this morning for Sabbath school, you have the opportunity of hearing from a young student and an old preacher, a medical student and a pastor. Um, we're going to study the Gospel of John, chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to take your Bible and study, open it to John, chapter 9. And I will give you a little background of the ninth chapter of the book of John by surveying some of the Gospels, and then we're going to go right to John 9. Adrian and I will dialogue for about 15, 17 minutes, and then we will have this group break up into smaller groups. Now, I know that that is going to be an interesting assignment for you. But since medical personnel always follow assignments and you have protocols, I'm not too concerned about it. But we will break up into smaller groups. There will be questions at your tables uh, that are designed for you to study. And then after about 30 minutes of the study around the tables that are in a different room, we'll come back here. So that's kind of the format. John is the last of the Gospels written someplace around 70 A.D., each of the four Gospels have a unique perspective of Jesus. So Adrian, if you're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, for example, we have the teachings or sermons of Christ. You have the great uh, Sermon on the Mount. If you look at the Gospel of Mark, you have the humanity of Christ. You want to know more about the humanity of Christ, you read Mark. Luke was a physician. And so physicians, Adrian, think in stories. And so uh, Luke, uh, you read the parables in Luke, more parables in Luke than any other place. John was written for a specific reason. And we find that reason in John chapter 20 and verse 31. So if you have your Bible, turn over to John 20 verse, 20, verse 31. To understand John 9, we must see the context that it was written of in the Gospel of John. So you're looking at John chapter 20 and verse 31, and here it very clearly tells us the purpose for the Gospel of John. We're going to look at verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs. Now keep in mind that word signs. It's a very critical word in the Gospel of John. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written. So why is the Gospel of John written, everybody? These are written that you may do what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the purpose of John, of every single chapter in John, is so that we will be able to understand that Jesus is the Messiah. John is written to a Jewish community to convince that Jewish community that Christ is more than a good man, more than an ethical teacher, but he's the Messiah. But the purpose of understanding the messianic ministry of Christ is that we will believe and have eternal life. So the purpose of the Gospel of John is to present the divinity of Christ and to enable us to believe. Now John does that in a unique way. He presents the seven signs that Jesus is the Messiah. And then he presents the seven I am statements. 
So we have two groups of seven. What are the groups of seven, everybody? What are these? The seven what? Half of you got it. The rest are still digesting their breakfast. If we need to, you'll give them a lecture on digestion. No. All right. Okay. So we got the what? The seven what? Signs and the seven I am statements. Okay. So here are the seven signs. First sign, first miracle of Christ. What's the first miracle of Christ? Who knows? Miracle at Cana. And uh, what did Jesus do at Cana? Turn water into unfermented grape juice. And uh, I could show you that from the text, but that's another lecture for another day. Um, then um, where is that found in the Gospel of John? John 2. So the first sign, John 2. Second sign is John chapter 4, where Christ heals a paralytic uh, official, an official's daughter, actually. And uh, so we go, the second sign is in John 4. Third sign is in John 5, the healing of Beth the man by the pool of Bethesda. He's been there 38 years. The fourth sign is in John 6, the feeding of the 5,000. And then the next sign is there too, Jesus walking on water. And the sixth sign is John chapter 9, the healing, which is our study for today, the healing of the blind man who was born blind from birth. And then the seventh sign is John 11, Lazarus. So there are seven signs, and every sign, Adrian, is designed for one reason, to show that Christ is, is divine. That leads us to John 9. So if you have your Bible, take it there, turn to John 9. Now, the surprising thing about John chapter 9, the incredibly surprising thing, is that as it follows on the heels of John 8, what are the last few verses in John chapter 8? We read them here in John 8, verse 58 and 59. Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, here you have one of those I am statements again, before Abraham was, I am. The Greek for I am there is ego eimi. It means the eternal self-existence one. Jesus was not begotten in the sense that he proceeded forth from the Father, and there was a time that he was not, but he was the self-existent one, ego eimi, the I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and he passed by. So the last verse of John 8 is these people picking up stones wanting to kill Christ. Then it says, John 9, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now one of the things that I think is incredible is that Christ was just going to be stoned, but yet he's so calm. And although no matter what is happening to him, he is focused on medical missionary work in others. And Adrian Charles Spurgeon makes this statement. One of the things worthy to be noted in the life of Jesus is his character and his wonderful quiet spirit, especially his marvelous calmness in the presence of those who misjudged him and insulted him and slandered him. So Spurgeon makes the point that Christ is just getting ready to be stoned, but yet you come into John 9, six months before his death, and he's not thinking about himself. He's not wrapped up in himself. He's thinking about medical missionary work. Adrian, as you have gone over this chapter, what are some of the things that have stood out to you in John chapter 9 as you've reviewed the lesson? 
So it's a really interesting study. I know we're going to have a blessing this morning. Some things that stood out to me personally was one that the disciples had this question for Jesus. And we'll go over it in the lesson. But they asked Jesus, essentially, why was this man blind? Was it, did he sin, although he was blind from birth? Was it his parents? And I thought about, this is the, th- the third year of Jesus' ministry, working with them every day, and they still had this question. And it made me realize that no matter how long you've, you've known Christ, there's still opportunity to be reminded. We still need to be humble, knowing that after all these years that they worked with him, they still didn't get it. And Jesus was once again patient with them, and he reminded them of very basic principles about sin, about his work that he had to do, about the shortness of time. And these are all things that one might have guessed, hey, they should have known this. But yet again, Jesus took the time to remind them after they had been with him for so long. So I I wonder for us, who didn't work with Christ in the same way they did, how often do we need to be reminded? The second point that I, I think about is that Jesus had a specific mission. And after he had healed the man of, of blindness using the clay, that would have been a, a perfect opportunity for him to be the world's expert on clay. He could have gone around <laughs> giving lectures on the type of clay to use to heal blindness, but he didn't allow himself to be sidetracked by other things that were possibly good things. He kept the main thing the main thing, and he weighed every decision in light of eternity. So there's other good things he could have been doing. After he turned water to wine, he could have been the world's wine expert. Missed opportunity. You know, he could have had tours, <laughs> wine tours, and people would have come from all over. But he didn't allow himself to be distracted. He kept everything in light of eternity, knowing that his time was limited. He made sure every decision he made was leading towards a specific goal. The last thing I think about in terms of this lesson and the things I get from, from, from Jesus in, in the way he carried himself is that he knew the future was great, but it wasn't enough. So a lot of us are future-oriented. We think about plans in terms of five, ten years from now. Jesus was in the midst of a plan that was almost over thousands of years in the making. He's months away from giving his life this huge plan that has been so long in the making, but he's still focused on that day. He wasn't lost up of in ten years from now I'm going to start this ministry and you won't be able to count the number of people baptized. He was thinking about today. And I think as, as medical professionals, We're thinking about plans five, ten years in the future, and sometimes we have to stop and ask. Those are great. Jesus was future-oriented as well, but what are we doing today? You know, Adrian, those are amazing points. It's interesting, when you get a, a, a physician and a preacher, we look at the text and we see the same text, but you thought of lessons that I may not have thought of in that passage. Let's look at uh, John chapter 9, and if you have your Bible, and I sure hope you do, you may have the ancient scrolls like I do, or you may have uh, it on your electronic fashion. I know if you're looking at it, you're looking at the text and you're not texting. Uh, John chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 1 to 4. Now, as Jesus passed by, now remember John 8 verse 59, John 8, verse 59, that they were going to stone Christ, but he's unruffled, unruffled by that. He's not riled by it. He's, he's not riled by the slander, the injustice. He's focusing on mission and ministry. If you live long enough, and you have, you're always going to be criticized for doing something. And uh, here in chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus passes by, sees this man blind from birth, His disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, let's let's pause there. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What do you see kind of strange in that question, Adrian? Well, there's a, a lot of things. One of the things I think about is that they were asking if this man sinned, but he was blind from birth. So when did he have the opportunity to sin? 
Yeah, well, you know, that's an interesting one. I'll tell you, there were a group of rabbis that believed you could sin when you're in your mother's womb. They believed that. Another group of Pharisees believed that you couldn't sin when you're in your mother's womb, and that was a big argument of debate among the, fa- among the Pharisees. Um, so they asked this question, but isn't it rather a strange question, though, when you really think about it? Who did sin, this man or his parents that he was born blind? I don't want to get into this too much, but I do want to provoke your pure minds this morning. Did, in Jewish philosophy, in Jewish philosophy, I'll give you a little background in Jewish understanding of birth. In Jewish philosophy, a baby in its mother's womb from the time of conception was not tissue, but part of the, part, but it was a unique life. That's what led the Jews to say this. This is why the Jews said, who did sin, the baby, uh, the, the, the baby in the mother's womb or the parents? Why? Because they believed that at conception there was human life. That was understanding in the Jewish culture, the Jewish background. That has some real implications that we will leave for another day. Um, now, there's another thing about it as well that I think is very interesting. There's a rabbi called Rabbi Emmy. And he said this, there is no death without sin, no suffering without iniquity. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that? Here's the rabbi's statement. Now, some of you are not quite sure. Let me, you want me to read the statement again? So theologically, is this statement correct? And did the disciples buy in to a misunderstanding? So here's the rabbi's statement. Want to vote on this one? No, you, you want some want to vote, some don't. Okay. There is no death. Now, do you agree? There is no death without sin, no suffering without iniquity. If I put that on a test, true or false? False, true. Both. My, what a group. True, false, both. How many truths do I have? How many falses do I have? How many I don't knows do I have? All right. Is it true that the ultimate result of suffering initially is the sin problem? Is that true? But is it true that if a person suffers and is sick, that it can be directly tied to a specific sin, or can there be other reasons? So can there be some genetic reasons? Can there be some environmental reasons? But can there be also some personal choices? Sure. So we would not agree with the understanding of the rabbis, would we? What are some practical lessons you get out of the things we've studied? Just very practical things, Adrian. Well, a few things I can think about. Um, One is the need for each one of us to meditate on the life of Christ daily. So something that will come up on the lesson is that the same mission that was given to Jesus is given to us. In the same way Jesus was sent, we are sent as well. And so it's important for us to have an understanding of his mission, how he carried it out, and how he overcame the obstacles on his mission. There's a, a saying we have in medicine, see one, do one, teach one. And sometimes when you've seen it enough times, you can, don't have to see it anymore. You can just focus on the doing and the teaching. But it's not so in the Christian walk. We have to continually see, do, and teach. And every day is a perfect opportunity to start off by seeing the life of Christ, understanding his mission is ours as well. Mm-hmm. The other practical lesson that I got from this 
is the way that Jesus healed the man. He could have just said, he created the universe with just his words, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could have just said, be healed. And that would have been enough. Super efficient, right? No need to, to trouble the clay. But he used the natural things around him to heal the man. And I thought, why did he have to do that? He could have just easily said, everyone in the world, see, receive your vision at once. And that would have been done. But he used the things around him. And I thought the same for us. You know, we can pray and people can be healed, but God gave us the example of learning to use the tools around us. And I think as medical professionals, you don't always get that training of the natural remedies. But I think this was an admonition to me to learn the natural remedies that are available to us so we can use those when we're healing people. Yeah, two things about that I think that are really interesting, Adrian. One is clay and spittle. He didn't use leaves. Why use clay and spittle? Human beings were made out of the dust, clay. Yeah. See, he fashioned them out of the dust. Spittle in the Jewish concept was life. Uh, the, 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 the spittle coming out of the mouth represented life. So Jesus' life applied to human beings mm. brings life and light and healing. The other interesting thing about that that I think is this, that Jesus sent the man to wash in the pool of Siloam. What if the man said, hey, you know, you put the clay and spittle on my eyes. Why, why got to do that? Why don't you speak? There was a matter of cooperating with God. So healing takes place as the human agent cooperates with the divine agent. So in our medical practice, we invite our patients not only to receive the treatment that we give them, but to cooperate with God and with us in the process of healing. Was there anything that surprised you about the chapter? There was. I think, kind of like we talked about earlier, that after the three years of working with Jesus every single day, the disciples still were missing the point. Yeah. And I, I think over the life of the disciples, there were so many evidences where Jesus had to continually reorient them over simple things. It's like, imagine you and I are working together every day for three years. And then one, one day I turn to you and say, Pastor Finley, what are your thoughts on the Sabbath? Is it a big deal? And somebody might like, well, if you've worked with them for three years, that's something maybe you should have known. But here were the disciples, three years later, still needing reminders. And it made me think about how often do we need to be reminded about things sometimes we take for granted that are simple. The disciples still, after all that time, needed that reorienting. And it made me think like, wow, how much do we need of even basic things that we've taken for granted? You know, that's a, that's a really a great point. One of the things that came out to me in the chapter was the concept of light and darkness. The man was born blind and lived in darkness. Jesus came to give him light. So the essence of the gospel is that the living Christ, who lived the model life, healing physically, mentally, and spiritually, that this living Christ comes to take us from the darkness that surrounds us and to give us the light of life so that we can see clearly. When Christ anointed this man's eyes, the man now could see clearly. As we break up for our lesson study today, Brian will come and give you some instructions of just where to go. There'll be questions on your table and spend time working together through those questions. This may be the most meaningful part of all of Sabbath School for you and maybe the entire time where you have an opportunity to dialogue, share with your colleagues, and we then will come back here after 30 minutes. We'll send somebody to the tables to bring you back, and Adrian and I will wrap it up. Well, I, I hope you've all enjoyed very much your groups. As Adrian and I went around among the groups, there was a lot of activity going on. 
For those of you who are online watching us, let me explain to you what has happened here. While you were watching the group that was having Sabbath school on the stage, we took these four or 500 people and split up and we had them at tables of about eight people and they were discussing at those tables the questions that we assigned for them from this Sabbath school lesson guide on the ninth chapter of the book of John. The reason why you're hearing a lot of chatter in the background if you're online is because people are coming back and they are so incredibly enthused about the Sabbath school lesson that um, they are still talking about the lesson even in the lobby as they are coming back. Uh, Adrian, you were part of one particular group. Uh, tell us a little bit about your group. What was going on in your group? Well, we had a really interesting discussion and some very important points were brought up that helped me to understand and kind of brought me back to the point you made earlier about everything in this book was written for us to understand why he came and the character of God. And there was a point that was made that one of the reasons they felt comfortable killing Jesus was because he reversed this man's blindness. And here's what that means. So they had the understanding of that this blindness was a punishment from God. They thought that God had caused this man to be born blind due to the same reasons either he sinned in the womb or his parents sinned. And here was Jesus who had gone against God and reversed that. And so they felt more confident than ever. Well, this Jesus guy, he might have healed somebody that was blind, but he cannot be from God because he just went against God. God wanted this man to be blind. And so Jesus took the opportunity in that moment to clarify God's character and God's will. Yeah, that's, a, that's an outstanding point. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 9. I want to reflect on one text that could easily be misunderstood in the light of the character of God. Anything that Satan can do to distort God's character, Satan attempts to do. And if you look at John chapter 9, there is a text that in the English is a little confusing, Adrian. In the Greek language, it's not nearly as confusing. We find it in John chapter 9, and as you look there, the disciples ask the question, verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents were born blind? Now notice Jesus' answer, which is a very fascinating answer. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, sin is that sickness, suffering disease is not always directly related to sin. It might be, but it wasn't in this case. Now notice the next phrase, which, is very, which can be very confusing. But the works of God should be revealed, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now I want you to think about that. Would God allow a person to be born blind and live in that darkness and blindness for decades so that then at the end of that time he could reveal his glory? Is that a loving, compassionate God? So it's a little confusing in that text with the word but. But if you understand the background of this Greek passage, it becomes much plainer. 
In the Greek language of the Bible, the word for but is Allah, A-L-L-A. It has nothing to do with Allah in Mormonism, incidentally, it's spelled totally different. Uh, I'm rather in, in Islam, not Mormonism, but Islam. So Allah. Allah can also be translated not but, but nevertheless, nevertheless. And nevertheless is a much better translation of this passage because if you read it that way, it makes, in, makes more sense. Verse 3, Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Nevertheless, the works of God will be revealed in him. In other words, although he was blind, the blindness was not because he sinned, but the blindness as the result of living in a broken world enabled God to reveal his glory. It was not that God caused him to be blind to reveal his glory. It is rather that the brokenness of the world caused the blindness, and then in spite of that brokenness, a loving God reveals his glory. There is a statement in your Sabbath school lesson, Adrian, that I want us to reflect upon a little bit. You'll find it on page five, the bottom. Page five, there's a statement in the book, Desire of Ages. One of the things that this lesson does for me is it reveals that God is the God of impossible, that God's vision is much greater than our vision. When this man only had a vision of blindness, God had a vision of sight for him. We may be blind in our medical practice. We may not be sure about the future. You are graduating as a medical student. Is the future 100% clear to you now? No, sir. No, sir. Why not? Well, you know, the possibilities are almost limitless. And at this time when you apply, your application even is uncertain. You have to kind of go through the match process, and there's uncertainty at every level. So, it's, you know, it's in God's hands, but... Yeah, yeah so, so there can be blindness even about residency. You try to go through the match. Where am I going to match? There can be blindness about your future, uh, your dreams, your goals. But here's the wonderful thing. We may have a certain blindness, but God has a vision, Adrian, for your life. And that vision, as you grasp that vision by faith, God will reveal himself to you. In this statement, Desire of Ages, page 73, it's on the bottom of page 5. It says, throughout his life on earth, and I want you to reflect on this a little bit for us, Adrian. Throughout his life on earth, Jesus was an earnest and constant worker. He expected much, therefore he attempted much. What does that say to you, this phrase, Jesus expected much, therefore he attempted much. What does that say to you as a senior medical student about ready to go out into your residency and after that make a difference for Christ? Well, one of the things that I think about is that as the, as the pastor says, Jesus understood that he was capable of doing a lot. And so he didn't go out, he didn't tell the blind man, you know, we're going to try this and we're going to cross our fingers and we'll see. You know, he had an understanding that he had the capability of doing a lot, therefore he had an expectation of himself during his time of earth, with the time that he had, there was an expectation for him to get results. And he kept saying over and over, I must do the works, I must do the works, because he, had, he knew there was an expectation in his mission that he was able to succeed 
and close the work that he was brought here to do. And I think when I think about it for our lives, we have to have an understanding of what is our mission? What has God sent us to do? And have an expectation that because we are working for God, we are capable of success and therefore we must succeed. Adrian, um, when I take a look at this whole chapter of John 9, there's this contrast between light and darkness. And it seems that there was an urgency about Christ's work in ministry, a real urgency about that. Reflect on this concept of, of urgency for Christ. We were talking a little bit about in the back. Yeah, I think about Jesus in this passage, and one, one of the things I think about is that Jesus was an expert, a master of time management. He knew how much time was left, and that directed his urgency when he was doing his work. So we just talked about earlier, this was Jesus had just almost had just gotten stoned. Yeah, yeah. And so he's literally running away. What a perfect opportunity to be like, you know what, guys, give me 10. I need to go take a little nap. That was stressful. But he had an understanding of time is running out. He knew what was about to come, and he knew the time I have to do this work is limited. And so I can't, you know, I can come back and see this gentleman next week, but my time is limited. And I think that Jesus had an understanding of the time, and that should be an example for us, knowing that when our time is limited, that should change the way that we approach the work we have to do. Some things can't be put off till tomorrow, knowing that time is short. I have a question for you. It may seem unrelated to the lesson. Did you ever play basketball? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you ask that? Yeah, I did. Um, I, did I did play basketball. And, and one lesson I thought about is, even in, in sports, for example, you know, when there's... I played basketball for a while, so I'll use a sports analogy. When there's 24 seconds left in the shot clock, you play a little bit differently than you do when there's five seconds left. When the quarter's new, there's 12 minutes left in the game, you play a little bit different. As a coach, you call different plays when there's two minutes left. When there's one minute left, the intensity ramps up. And I think Jesus in this moment knew the clock was running out and it was time to call that special play. He knew it was time to start turning up the intensity. I think that's an example for us as well, knowing when the clock is running out, the way we play should, should, should reflect that. A medical student uses a basketball illustration to illustrate the signs of the times that Jesus is coming soon. So the time is running out, isn't it? The clock is running down. And I think that's one thing that we see here in the theme of our lesson for this morning and the theme of our entire seminar this weekend, while it is day, work, labor while it is in day, because time indeed is running out. There are three lessons that jump out at me that I think apply to medical professionals from this story in John 9. The first is, Jesus' incredible care, Jesus' incredible love. He had just come from being stoned, as we mentioned earlier, and he saw a blind man, and his heart was drawn out with compassion. Jesus did not stop to ask why the person was blind. The disciples were more interested in why the person was blind than they were that the person was blind and the person needed help. The people that come into our emergency rooms, the people that come into our hospitals or our offices, may come in with checkered pasts and difficult experiences. Our concern is not necessarily what brought them there, although we may delve into that to help them to be healed, but our concern is how can I help this person? How can the compassion of Christ be revealed? 
Second lesson is the need to help our patients cooperate with God. This man went to the pool of Siloam and his eyes were washed. Third lesson is there are some things you better do quickly and you better do them right away because my clock just ran out. <laughs> This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.